good morning, everyone. What a wonderful morning of worship we have had today. We're blessed to have a loving community with whom to worship our King. Uh, we're doubly blessed today to have my friend, Stephen Bryce, and the rest of his family who are now out with the rest of the little ones, Regina, and his little ones, Brian, Brooklyn. Uh, I got to know Stephen and Regina out in Abilene uh, when we were, Stephen and I were doing some master's work together, and we practiced house church together for a while, too, in this very strange and new and totally 100% weird experiment of church. Um, but in them, I found real people and honest people and forthright people and people whose hearts are absolutely 100% with Jesus and with the people that God has given them to care for. So I will say no more and give Stephen as much time uh, to, to preach today as he can as a little truncated, but I will pray over you a little bit as we get started. Thank you, Jesus, Lord and Savior, God, our King, for my brother Stephen. I pray, Father, you will be uh, with him in spirit. Lift his spirit up. Uh, he'll be like the Lion of Judah, roaring, uh, just the voice of God, and also like the Lamb of God, gentle and merciful, uh, and being an example for the rest of us. God, bring your truth, bring your spirit, and work among us through Stephen's words today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Greetings, beautiful people. So good to be here with you all and to uh, reconnect with uh, some of you all. I've been able to rub shoulders uh, with many of you. Thank you to Charles and Barrett and all the leaders for uh, the opportunity to share in this moment. I hope you all don't mind me rearranging some stuff. Um, as I get acclimated, I promise I'll put everything right back. It's good to have my family here with me. Um, of course, if my wife is taking care of Brooklyn and Brian is um, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to apologize to the teachers and the bands. Uh, for what they're about to encounter. Uh, hey, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 23, which will serve as um, the context of, of um, our time of hearing God speak today. Then the entire assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And then, and they began to accuse him, speaking of Jesus, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. Let me repeat that. They are, they are accusing Jesus, and the first thing that they said to Pilate was, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes paying opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be the Messiah, the king. So Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no basis for charge against this man. Then Pilate announced himself to the chief priest and and the crowd, wanting to clear himself of any guilt of punishment that will come to Jesus. But the people insisted, he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all 
the way here, on hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he heard that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a very long time he'd been waiting or waiting to see Jesus. For what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. Verse 9, he implied to him or plead to him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. I want to skip down to verse 13. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers of the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the, but the whole crowd shouted, away with this man. Release Barabbas to us. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the, for the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found him no ground for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then released him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man he had thrown or had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Charles asked me to um, talk about the gospel of justice. And if I could offer a sub-theme I want us to think about the theme or the subject, but I didn't do it. So as we talk about justice this morning, or as I lecture or perhaps preach on justice this morning, depending on how the Holy Spirit moves today, um, I do have a manuscript. I typically, typically don't do manuscripts, but when I know I have a time limit, I have to stay, you know, I have to stay within the manuscripts. But I want, I want, to, I want to, um, I want us to think about this idea, but I didn't do it as we think about justice. On May the 15th, 2010, at the age of 16, Khalif Browder and his friend, while on their way home from a party in the Bronx, were stopped by police officers. Browder and his friend thought that this was a typical stop-and-frisk routine, which, of course, disproportionately targeted black and brown young men. However, this was not the case. These police officers were responding to a call reported by Roberto Bautista. Roberto uh, claimed that two black males robbed him of his backpack, which 
contained a camera, $700, a credit card, and the iPad Touch, or iPod Touch. After searching Khalif and his friend, the officer returned to the car to consult with Roberto, who was sitting in the back seat. Roberto then informed the officers that they tried to rob him, which is a different narrative from what he previously reported to them when he actually did say that they robbed him. When the officers returned to Khalif and his friend to report the new accusations, Khalif expressed his innocence to the officers by saying, but I didn't do it. The police officers then proceeded to consult with Roberto one more time to find out that Roberto revamped his narrative by saying that they robbed him two weeks ago. At that point, the police officers arrested Khalif and his friend. Browger and his friend were taken to the precinct where they were fingerprinted and kept inside of a holding cell for hours. After about 17 hours of, of interrogation, Browger was uh, sent to court and they wanted to offer him a plea deal. But Browger said, but I didn't do it. Later, Browger was charged with robbery and assault in the courtroom. And bail was set for $3,000. But because his family was poor and unable to make bail, he was sent to Rikers Island in New York as he waited for his trial. While in Rikers Island, Browger was bullied Violently, violently abused both by fellow inmates and correction officers. Browger, Browger rather, was sent to solitary, solitary confinement for months at a time. And there are countless amount of stories and experiences Browger encountered that no human being, whether guilty or innocent, should have to endure. Repeatedly, Browger was offered plea deals to settle his case. However, in spite of the tumultuous experience of being in Rikers Island, Browger believed that he needed to maintain his innocence. Because in his opinion, it was the right thing to do. Browger wanted to maintain his innocence because so many of his fellow counterparts accepted the plea deal because they could not afford a lawyer and they were afraid to be sentenced for a longer term in prison. So instead of submitting to a system that was fixated in destroying lives, Browger maintained that his life will expose the system and empower others to fight. One day, Patricia M. the Mango, a Brooklyn judge, was brought into the Bronx to help settle a lot of backlog cases. She offered him another plea deal of admission of guilt to two misdemeanors and the ability to go home immediately. But again, Browger said, no, I will not say that I am guilty when I am innocent. 
on May the 29th, 2013, on his 31st court appearance. 31st court appearance. The judge finally dismissed the case. And Browger, Khalif Browger, was able to finally return home. But the damage was done. He was mentally scarred and lost. Yet when asked both privately and publicly, why didn't he take the plea deals that were offered to him? Browger consistently said, because I didn't do it. In our story in Luke chapter 23, we see an innocent man convicted to being a criminal, dying on a Roman cross. Prior to this scene, Jesus was a radical revolutionary who cared about the forgotten and preached that the kingdom of God is near. Both his actions and sermons were offensive to the religious hierarchy of that time. The Jewish leaders hated Jesus' influence, theology, and ministry. The Jewish leaders were following Jesus to build a case against him. So when the Jews brought Jesus to be tried and killed, Pilate washed his hands to separate himself from the murder of an innocent man. Pilate did not want to be associated with a group of people who would put their religion and hatred for Jesus over the fundamental core of their faith in God, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes I wonder, have we put our religion, nationalism, and culture in place of the golden rule that transcends most of the religion and faith that, that exists today. Love your neighbor as yourself or treat others as you will want to be others to treat you. The story of the cross demonstrates that the innocent, speaking of Jesus, will put aside their religion, nationalism, and culture for the sake of others. While those who are in power will use their religion, nationalism, and culture to advance their agenda. The story of the cross demonstrates that the innocent will be made to be a criminal and the privileged will be blinded by their own status, unable to comprehend and connect with the least among us. As Jesus was suffocating on the tree of the cross, the soldiers were having a gambling party, fighting over who would take his clothes. While black bodies were lynching on the tree or being lynched on the tree, suffocating white men were dancing with their wives. Today, while blacks are being sent to prison disproportionately, killed on the streets by white domestic terrorists and law enforcement, and are barred from economic opportunities by the white power structures, many white people are saying to blacks, you should have complied with the law, or you should have went to school, or you should have worked harder. One thing that Jesus... And blacks in America, both past, present, and unfortunately the future, have all in common is that they're able to say, I can't breathe. 
I wonder if the soldiers were so busy partying over Jesus' clothes to where they could even hear Jesus grasping for air. I wonder if the religious folks who were uttering insults at Jesus were able to hear Jesus grasping for air. I wonder if the white men who were dancing with their wives, smoking and drinking, were able to hear black people grasping for air as they were hanging on the tree. I wonder if white Christians today can hear Eric Gardner say, I can't breathe. I wonder if white Christians today can hear the cries of black people. I wonder if white Christians, not white Republicans, not white Democrats or white independents, but white Christians of whom I share the Christian faith with, can actually hear me, a black brother from the ghettos of New York, who has two master's degrees, a family, a business, and a future, can hear me grasping for air in this country. Can you hear me suffocating? Can you imagine the pain Jesus was experiencing when the three nails that held him up was driven through every vibrant, vibrant vein in his body? Can you imagine the muscle cramps that plagued his body as a result of grasping for air? Mary Harris in His book, The Seven Sayings of Jesus on the Cross, said, The early stages of dehydration caused dizziness and headache. The later stages were marked by mental disorientation and lightheadedness that make concentration difficult and by severe thirst in which the mouth and throat were completely parched and the swollen tongue cling to the roof of his mouth. Yet in the midst of all of this, in the midst of a suffocating Jesus who is thirsty, grasping for air, Jesus tells his disciples of whom, his disciple of whom he loved to take care of his mother and for his mother to take care of the disciple of whom he loved. Yet in the midst of him suffocating, Jesus mustered up the strength to pardon the sins of a criminal and welcome him into paradise. Yet in the midst of all of this, Jesus was able to muster up the strength to ask his own father to forgive the very people that was crucifying him. In the midst of all of this, Jesus mustered up the strength to other words in solidarity with those who are less fortunate by saying, I thirst. In the midst of all of this, Jesus was able to send a request to his father And ask them, why have you forsaken me? But one thing I want us to notice out of all of this is that Jesus not once said, but I didn't do it. So as I I engage my white friends and counterparts on the issue of race and justice, every now and then I would hear one say, well, but Bryce, I didn't do it. Or it wasn't me. I wasn't there back, back in those days. And I will often respond by saying, well, I, wasn't, I didn't come from Africa to America, nor was I lynched, nor did I live through the Jim Crow era. 
But I am still experiencing the effects of it. And you should too. Remember, I'm an educated black man with a family and a business. And I'm still experiencing the effects of it. So you should too. We should all be in this thing together. You may not have done it, and I may not have lived through it. But if we were both made to live in a time such as this, until we realize that we as a community of Christians do not accept ownership, we will continue to be plagued by the dominant culture of division that separates the haves and the haves not. The privileged and the unfortunate. How can we be good news in a world filled with bad news when we are afraid to address the problems? How can we be good news of restorations if Christians do not have the capacity, the capacity to pay the debt of someone else like Jesus? While our American justice system calls for the guilty to stand trial, the gospel calls the innocent to stand trial in place of the guilty. While our American justice system provides an opportunity for villains to plead for innocence, the gospel calls for the innocent to plead guilty. While the American justice system is fixated to disenfranchise people of color, the gospel is calling white Christians to stand up for people of color. While American history suggests that racism and discrimination is a thing of the past, which it isn't, the gospel is calling white Christians to understand that not only is racism and discrimination is still alive and well, but also to be mindful that the effects of the past still plagues us. And it is time for white Christians to come to terms with this and pay us back. While our American justice system provides an opportunity for people to say, I didn't do it. The gospel is calling Christians to pay the price of their ancestors so that others can enjoy the breath that Jesus died for. While the American justice system attempts to be fair, righteous, and just, the gospel system of justice calls for the first to be last, the poor to sit with the rich, men and women to be equal, Jews and Gentiles to be one, the clean and the unclean to dine together, the guilty to be innocent, and the innocent to be guilty. The gospel is calling us to pay the price for something that we didn't do. Like Jesus. So storyline, if you're serious about justice, you will have to pay the price. We can worship all day together and have conversations, but until you pay the price to fight for justice among all people... No matter their color, their religion, and even their sexual orientation. We will not 
be agents of, of justice and agents of good news in society. If you're going to be serious about justice, your love, your neighbor mantra will have to stretch beyond your comforts. If you're going to be serious about justice, you will have to be willing to listen to those stories that will make you cringe. If you're going to be serious about justice, you will have to be willing to digest stories in the midst of your temptation to critique and impute your own personal opinions. If you're going to be serious about justice, you will have to fight for private investigations for black and brown families whose children have been slain by police officers in the midst of your personal, moral, civil support of law enforcement. While you support law enforcement, you still have to fight for black and brown families. If you're going to be serious about justice, you have to be in solidarity with minorities who are frightened about the current administration, whether you support him or not. We have to be in solidarity with our Hispanic brothers and sisters, whether they are legal or not. Why? Because the golden rule is for us to love our neighbor as ourselves. If you're going to be serious about justice, you will have to use extra memory space for mindfulness and consideration in order for you to be sure that minorities have a fair shot both academically, economically, and socially in your sphere of influence. If you're going to be serious about justice, despite your disapproval, you will have to be able to stomach Colin Kaepernick's non-violent just protests. And also to be honest with the blatant treatment that he's receiving from the NFL and others. And the reason why I bring this up is because it is a microcosm of what's happening in society. If we riot, we are called animals. And if we, if we protest non-violently, we are called non-patriotic. Whatever we do, we are critiqued. If you're going to be serious about justice, you will have to pledge your allegiance to the cross. To radical love for all of humanity, even at the expense of turning your back on the American flag. If you're going to be serious about justice, you and your families will have to turn off the TV, stop going to soccer practice, and get involved with organizations that are focused on social changes. If you're going to be serious about justice, you're going to have to call your local government and express your disdain for what is happening to minorities both locally and nationally. If you are going to be serious about justice, you're going to have to say yes to dying on the cross and say no to America. That is only if you're serious about justice. But you know something? I have a funny feeling that um, you all are serious about justice. Storyline, I believe that you have what it takes to be on the front lines of paying the price. Storyline, I believe that you have the opportunity to demonstrate that the gospel has good news for a divided world. 
I believe, storyline, that you have the capacity to listen, to care for, and defend the least among you. Storyline, I believe that you have what it takes to not necessarily denounce your nationalism, but to use it in a way to consider your neighbor more than yourself. Storyline, I believe that you have what it takes to love deeply. I believe that you have the strength that Jesus had on the cross to be a community of cross bearers. I believe, storyline, that you have what it takes because God believes in you. And guess what? God is depending on you. Khalif Browder's story ends on June the 6th, 2015, when he committed suicide by hanging himself. On January the 25th, 2016, President Obama, after signing an executive order to ban solitary confinement for juveniles, said in the Washington, Washington Post, in 2013, Khalif was released, having never stood trial. He completed a successful semester at Bronx Community College, but life was a constant struggle to recover from the trauma of being locked up alone for 23 hours a day. One Saturday, Saturday, he committed suicide at home. He was just 22 years old. Khalif Browder did not rob Roberto Bautista and never was found guilty of Bautista's accusations. In fact, Bautista fled the country and never stood trial. But yet Khalif remained in prison. The system, the justice system did not care about his innocence. They just wanted to send him away. But in spite of that, Khalif, like Jesus, had the courage to expose a justice system that is unjust. Jesus' story continues to expose us to the cost we have to pay if we are going to be serious about picking up the cross to follow Jesus in order for us to truly love our neighbors as ourselves. The question then is, will we allow nationalism to trump our allegiance to Christ? No pun intended. We will, will we pledge our allegiance to a flag more than we pledge our allegiance to loving our neighbors? As a young black dude, I wonder if we'll ever live in a world where society will consult with Christians for moral and social advice. I wonder if we'll ever live in a world where racism will be a thing of the past because Christians took a strong sacrificial stance against it. I wonder if we'll ever live in a world where no one will be found lacking because of the radical culture of sharing our resources having been restored and being practiced like our first century Christian ancestors. I wonder... If we will ever live in a world where women and men will be viewed as equal, like the woman and the man was viewed in the Garden of Eden. I wonder if we will ever understand that the mission of God is to restore all things. I have to skip a few things because I see it's 31 minutes I have here. 
But let me end by saying that I will pay the price so that others might live. I will pick up my cross and love deeply. And one thing that I know about the story of the cross is that the story of the cross does not end at the cross. But there is, there is a resurrection that comes. And that power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in me and that lives in you. Storyline, we have been given the authority in this world and it is our kingdom citizenship right for us to lead the change we want to see. It is our kingdom citizenship right to be the good news and to reconcile and restore all things back to God.